Hello, Field Podcast audience. Welcome back this week. I have with me today a guest that we're going to talk about um, topics with her that we have not hit on before. I'm really excited to introduce Dr. Jennifer Harrison, aka Dr. Jen, as her students call her, to you today. I met her through Podmatch, and she is a classic example of a woman who's taken her knowledge and her background and is using it to help other women. And that is one of my favorite things to see and celebrate. Um, And she's going to have some sources for many of you that you're going to want to know about. Don't worry, go to embracinglayers.com and you will find all of her information on our sources page, in the show notes, as we promote the episode on social media. So don't worry, you'll have access to that. But Dr. Jen describes herself as conscientious, hardworking, empathetic, determined, supportive, and independent. Welcome today, Dr. Jen, to the Feel Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Oh, I am too. I am too. All right, let's get started. I'm going to start with this one and how to prioritize self-care in your life and what that looks like for you. You are a busy person. You've got a lot of different angles going on. You're coaching and supporting people. You're teaching. You're writing. You're doing all these different things. So where do you make the space for self-care and how? What talk to me about your journey with that. Sure. Well, this is something I've really had to learn because my background is that I was an academic. I trained as a teacher. I've worked as a professor, worked in universities a lot, you know, published my work. So I was your your typical professor. And I don't know if you know much about that space, but there is no self-care in that space. No. And, (laughs) And when I transitioned to doing this business, so now I'm a business owner. I'm not an academic anymore, but I had to relearn, you know, and I, and I used a coach to do that because I was incapable of doing that on my own, but I had to be taught sure. and to relearn how important self-care is for productivity, mm. for kind of meeting your goals, for just being healthy. So it's mm-hmm. something that's always at the top of my mind. And now when I work with my clients, I want to kind of change that, that culture in academia. And so I'm trying to teach them, you know, this is, this is our new norm. Now we make this what we do. So I have a lot of tips and they've all come from what I have learned from transitioning from the one to the other. Mm. Um, And like you said, like lots of different hats. And I think that's true for most women. Most of us are Mm -hmm. wearing all the different hats. You know, I've got, I've Mm -hmm. got my business. I am still a writer. I teach my students. I have two ADHD sons and one ADHD husband. So there's a lot going on in this house most of the time. There's a lot of energy. (laughs) Yeah, so much energy. (laughs) So um, like I I kind of got six points and they all feed into each other, but they're they're kind of six Mm. things that I think you really, everybody should be thinking about and trying out when it comes to their self-care. And top of that list, and it was the first thing that I had to learn was you've got to identify your priorities. And nobody mm. else is going to do that for you. Everyone else is going to try and do that for you. They'll tell you what your priorities should be. Um, but you're the only one who really knows what your priorities are. And they need to grow out of what you want for yourself, um, mm. the things that matter to you, your values. But everybody should take some time at some point to sit down and actually write these down. You know, what are my priorities? They can change. Mm. Like that list isn't going to be forever. But right. For your current season, you know, in your in your current role or until your kids graduate or whatever it might be, what are your priorities in life? What do you value most highly and what do you value least highly? 
And the reason I say to do this in advance, write them down, is because it's hard to remember them when you're in a pressured situation. So if you write them down and check them often, you have that tool, like the decision's already been made for you. Oh, I know I'm always going to prioritize spending my time with my family over my job. Okay, well, now I know to say no to this thing, even though this person really wants me to do it, because I already decided like, this is my priority list. This comes above this. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing. Like I would say, like, take that time, work out your priority so that you know where you stand, what you're basing your decisions on. Um. Another really big one, and this is one that I still struggle with, but um, we all know we need rest. You know, rest is a huge part of self-care. I only recently heard um, a TED Talk by Sandra Dalton-Smith that revealed there's more than one type of rest, which had never occurred to me before. But it's, you know, Mm. as soon as I heard that and tried it out, it's 100% true. And now I see it with my students all the time. Um, Mm. we all know we need physical rest, like you need enough sleep in the day, Mm -hmm. but we also need mental rest. We need sensory rest. We need creative rest, emotional rest, and the last one, spiritual rest. Mm. And I think not enough of us think about what those mean for us. You know, Mm. what does spiritual rest look like for you? What does creative rest look like for you? So I would recommend everybody go look up those terms, find out what the different types of rest Mm. are, and then do like a rest audit for your life. Are you getting enough of these things? Um, And again, I'd say like decide in advance what you Mm. think you can neglect in order to make room for the ones you're not making room for. And how do you decide what to neglect? You go back to your priorities. (laughs) So currently I'm spending time on all these things, but my priorities tell me self-care should be way up here. So let me drop a couple of these things that are low down on the list and um, that will give me the time I need for proper rest. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a hard decision to make, especially in something pressured like a dissertation or an academic job, because yeah. there is so much pressure pushed put on you to perform, but that's somebody else's priority. So, you know, you have to decide where do you really want to, where do you really want to perform? Because that. that was within all this. I mean, you work with students that are in their dissertation, in dissertation mode. That is such a high pressure I don't know from personally, but I have, I have several friends that walk this out. I've got two that are in it right now while they're working full-time jobs, w- moms. Yeah. One has a spouse. I mean, and these are just any jobs. These are like, you know, so I'm thinking of all these things. I'm like, oh my God, these are so good for these and learn it now and, and apply it now. So anyway, I, but I'm like in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, because I've seen what, it's a pressure cooker. It is a pressure cooker. I mean, just, you know, just one story that jumps to my head right now is a student who was told, we want you to get this dissertation done by next month because your supervisor wants to retire. And while you're doing that, we want you to also co-author this paper. um, And if you don't co-author it, then we won't give you that opportunity again. So obviously that is like, it's presented to the student in a way that, tries to pressure them into making these fast decisions. But of course, supervisor retiring, that's not that student's priority. That's the supervisor's priority. They want to retire. Actually, that institution's got a duty of care to that student. You know, they took them on, they took their money. So they have a duty to provide a supervisor. And it's hard to remember that in the moment. Same thing with the project. You know, that co-author this project, that's somebody who doesn't want to do the work of the project on their own and sees an easy target for someone else who can do some of the work. That's not that student, but that, you know, that student is feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss this opportunity. If I don't do opportunities and I don't get a future career, hold on a minute. 
what's your priority right now? What do you actually want to do? Well, I want to finish my dissertation. Well, then mm-hmm. that person can find someone else to co-author on that project. Yeah. Even if you and are don't believe out, the lie that other opportunities won't come along. Yes. Yeah, they will. They may not come from that source, but maybe that's a good thing given how that opportunity was presented. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, you know, everything in life is going to be presented to you as you're missing out. You have to do this. This is a once in a lifetime. Well, hold on a minute. Even if it's once in a lifetime, is it something you want? Because if it isn't, miss out, you know, you've missed out, but you haven't missed out on the thing that's important, which is your priorities and your values. Ah, love that. Love that. Um, Okay. So the next one, I know you already talk about this a lot. Have a self-care network. Mm -hmm. Just, just find your people now and keep them close. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it could be professional ones. It could be things like mentors, you know, people who value your career and and will boost you up, but it could also just be the friends and the family that make you feel good when they're around because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're social animals really. And we need other people to feel good. So other people are a huge part of your self-care. And Mm. if you have people who are not afraid when you're frazzled and difficult to tell you, hold on a minute, you need to stop and breathe and take a break. People who don't feel the fear of doing that are the people to have around you because sometimes you can't, you know, with even with all the best tools in the world and all the deciding in advance and all the prioritizing, you're still going to lose it at that time. So you need somebody there who can take over for you when your brain stops functioning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, track your self-care activities. I hate tracking. I had to be pushed really hard to do this. And I only did it for about a month before deciding that I still really hated tracking and it was time to stop. (laughs) But even if you do it for that short time, you know, we've talked about things like different types of rest and priorities and so forth. But how do you actually know if you're staying true to these decisions that you've made? Um, Tracking Mm. will help you see that. So if you like commit Mm. and you say, my top priority is I'm going to get enough um, spiritual rest. And it's going to look like this for me. I'm going to, I don't know, go to church every Sunday, no matter what. It's going to be, you're going to think that you're doing it. You know, for Mm. me, it was, I am definitely going to stop and take a lunch break every day. You think you're doing it, but actually you forget that you've gone and checked your email real quick and you've done it. If you have to track, first of all, you'll stick to one task for longer because it's so annoying having to go and press that button that says you change tasks. (laughs) But then also if you do do it, at least you'll be able to see, oh, hold on a minute. When I said I was only going to do six hours of this. I actually do 24. That's a lot. I should, you know, really trim back there. So it's like, it's a good exercise to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, does the tracking also help you determine what it is that actually helps you and what it is that maybe doesn't like you can start off with a list and thinks, cause sometimes people have to narrow down what actually works for them. Not everything works for everybody. Or is it more of it just to like, this is just to make sure that I keep doing this and don't get off, don't get distracted. Well, in my head, it was the, it was the latter. I suppose it depends on how you track. Um, I tried using just like a free app from Google that had buttons where you press it when you're starting an activity and you press it when you stop. So that just tracked time. But I guess if you, if you have a way of matching it up to how you're actually feeling, and I think there are apps that do that, but I don't know any off the top of my head, but that will help you gauge your emotional state at any one time. That could be really useful Certainly, like okay. if you see that you're spending, your app says you're spending 20 hours a week on self-care, but you still feel frazzled and tired and burnt out, probably something's not working and you need to reassess. Right. 
Exactly. Okay. All right. Thank you for answering that. I was just, I just thought of that. I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if that, cause sometimes people really struggle with figuring out what it is that, that works for it them. It isn't working. Yeah. I mean, yeah. something I'll definitely talk about later, but a, a therapist is invaluable for yeah. that. And I think everybody needs one. It doesn't matter how well balanced you think you are. Like everyone can I, benefit from a therapist. I'm a thousand percent on board with you on that. Yeah. Um, okay. Last one is schedule your self-care activities. So this goes back to that idea of deciding in advance, um, because I think a lot of us, we have so little free time, well, free time. We have so little unoccupied time that mm-hmm. when we finally do have five minutes to do something for ourselves, we get decision paralysis. We're like, Oh my God, should I do creative rest? Should I just take a nap? I don't know. What should I do? And then the five minutes is gone and like, we're done. Yes. So I think decide in advance, like when I get five minutes, I will do this. When I have a day off, this is, you know, the the stuff I'm going to choose from so that you don't even have to spend time on that decision. Right. Yeah. I really like that. And I actually talked about that a lot. I did a two hour summit on 360 Talk Radio for Women in November. And I spent some time talking about that. People get a little cringy when you tell them to schedule their self-care schedule, their Because they're like, well, if it's not spontaneous and isn't really self-care, I'm like, you will make time for the things that you make a priority. If it's not showing up in your calendar, you'll fill it with something else. So maybe eventually you can get um, disciplined enough that that doesn't go away, that you you value that enough that you, but at the beginning, I think there's so much value because again, you put in your calendar, what is a priority to you subconsciously or consciously. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. And I think there's ways of getting spontaneity into it. Like, so if you give yourself choices or like you don't, Mm -hmm plan too rigidly so like I used to have because I'm really bad at actually talking to people I'm quite an introvert so I used to have like Fridays I had an hour blocked in my calendar that just said connect with friends and some mm. days that would be just sending memes through Instagram and other days it'd be like we're going out for lunch I haven't seen you for three months mm. and it really depended right. on what the friends were doing but I knew that in that time I was gonna spend some time connecting with other people it always made me feel good And because it was in my calendar, I didn't feel guilty about doing it. So like you still get some spontaneity with something like that, but at least I didn't have to try and work out, oh my gosh, when am I going to have lunch with my friend? I was like, nope, I've got a space for that. Yeah, that's um, a great idea. And also because I find that I'll get to the end of the week and I'm like, dang it, I didn't call so-and-so. I need to mm -hmm. talk to them this week. So that's a great example too. Sorry, I interrupted you there, but I was like, ooh, I like that a lot. Yeah, I know. The other, like lunch breaks. I was like, I have to take a lunch break. I'm not really a lunch person. I don't really eat very much in the middle of the day. And I was mm-hmm. like, every lunch break, what's happening is because I don't have eating to do. And I'm like, what do I do with my lunch break? Let me just check my email. No, okay, no, we're not doing that. So I made a list and it's on my phone and it's got three options. Like you will knit, you will read, or you will write. Three things I enjoy. Mm-hmm. They're quite different. So like whatever the yes. mood takes me that day, it's still spon- sure. you know, spontaneous. Which book will I read? Am I going to start a new project? Am I ripping out? And all, you know, what? A- so there's still spontaneity there, but it takes yeah. away the pressure on your brain to fill that time wisely. Right. No, I love that. I love that because we always default. If we don't have that, we always default to that thing that needs to be done, that Mm. to-do list. And we don't default to what do I need right now in terms of taking care of myself. So I love those examples. You like hit on so many of those things that we already talk about here in our talking points. So I'm going to refer back to those six points a lot as we continue our conversation because they link so nicely. 
Um, the next thing that I um, will talk about is confidently setting boundaries. I'm sure this list helps you with that in your own life. You've got a lot going on with kids and a spouse and and your work, and but also probably really helps your students have those six points so that they can set boundaries in a healthy way. Um, so talk to me about, about how that works for you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the first part of it is a mindset thing, and it, it goes right back to mm-hmm. that, know your priorities. Um, know your worth and your priorities. I add worth in there mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think that's the bit, you know, personally working with dissertation students, especially BIPOC women, that's the one they struggle mm-hmm. with. Is they know what their priorities yes. are. They just struggle to think they're worth prioritizing. So yes. you've got to first like change your mindset that you are worthwhile. Nobody mm-hmm. gets to decide that. It just is. It's a fact of life. You are worthwhile. Not, you know, there's no mm-hmm. qualifiers on that. So right. So you get to prioritize. Like you're allowed to. That's a thing that you're allowed to do as a human being. So uh, I mean, like, I've written in my notes, like that's it really. <laughs> that's how you mm-hmm. set boundaries. Because it as is. soon as you realize that you are important enough that it matters that you have boundaries, then you have less difficulty saying no, or this is not okay. You know, I know I want to do this. And if you're telling me, no, I can't, well, first of all, you better have a really good reason because I've already decided I'm worth having the things that I want. <laughs> not I like love you're not going to listen so to other people, but you know, you have right. that core, core faith that it's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not the narrative we hear. We have to really get okay with that. And especially BIPOC women. I mean, you and I talked about this before we started recording. My BIPOC female friends are the first ones to show up and support me in the work that I do. They are the first ones to, to be on board, to say, yes, they, they are the first, but they also have felt compelled to go do this work, get a doctorate, get this education to make differences in the community because they know the world is telling them, unless you have this, these letters behind your name, you're not, your voice isn't worth being heard. That has been the narrative in our world about the, our BIPOC populations and especially women for thousands of years. So you've got to decide then as within that, no, that's not true. I'm worthy. I'm valuable from the day I, I'm born and nothing I do or don't do changes that. Like these are things that I do, but I, as a human, as a woman in this world, exactly who I am is valuable, but you will, but but it's hard work to get there. So I'm, you know, so I'm so, I love seeing people, do the work you're doing because it, you, there's not enough of it. There's, you need those reminders. You need those affirmations because that is not the narrative. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that recognizing that means suddenly everyone else is going to recognize it as well. Like you're still going to have a fight on your hands. Absolutely. And you get to decide if you want to have that fight or not, but it's your decision. Like you decide, right. I'm too tired today to fight with this. I'm going to go with the flow. Or you know what? Today is the day I stand up for myself because that's what I want right now. Right. Right. And but it's your decision based on what you want. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to buy today that. or do you not? But you know, still what do you want? Um, yeah. Two yeah. two practical things. Um, because I think once you've made that part of the the mindset shift, you've still got the actual practicalities. <laughs> okay, but how do I set boundaries? Sure. How do I apply this? Yeah. Um 
I say that like the hardest part, usually with boundaries is communicating it to the other person without feeling like you're rude or you're pushy or you're Mm -hmm. overstepping someone else's boundaries. So I always say, create your script again, do it in advance, create a script in advance. Like this is what Mm. I'm going to say when I have to say no to something, especially if you find yourself being asked up by email a lot, just have an email template. Mm. Mm-hmm. or like something on your phone with like talking points. If somebody asks you something that you want to say no to, or you, you're not happy with. And so then you like, while you're in a calm frame of mind, you can do the being polite. You can do the gentle yeah. um, refusal. You can do the alternative suggestions while your head is clear and you're not in a pressured moment. And then Absolutely. when, you know, when the situation comes up where you've got to set a boundary, you can just pull that right out and be like, okay, I'm good to go. I know how to deal with this. Yeah. 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 I think the other one, the the really practical part is physical space. And I was thinking about Mm. this like in two different situations. One of them is, like you said, I've got a hugely busy household. Most of my students do too. They're either meeting with me in their professional workplace or they're in like a public coffee shop because they've had to go somewhere with an internet connection or they're surrounded by kids who are running around doing stuff because they're working in the evenings. I'm the same. Like my desk is in our living room. My kids, if they're off school, think that any meeting I have is an invitation for them to socialize with whoever's on the other end of the <laughs> Like, there's stuff going on all around you all the time. I think physical space is really important if you're trying to set those kind of everyday boundaries. So, like, working out what you need in order to have the space you require you know, yeah. that's like, that's like a physical boundary. So, it might be like if I have my headphones on, it means I don't want to work, chat while I'm at work. Or mm. if mommy is sat at her desk, leave her alone <laughs> until she gets yes. up. Yes, <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, even the practical, like, do not follow me into the bathroom. I will talk about Lego with you when I come out. <laughs> like, whatever it might be. <laughs> that is so but- <laughs> true. You can, you, can, you can pound on the door you want, but I, no, I'm going in. We'll talk about it later. I love that. Those are, I mean, those are really important things. And it's communicating those too. Like, yes. you've communicated that to your family. This is what this means. Because I think that's a big thing too, is we get the boundaries all set. We've got them written down. We've got our script, but then we've actually got it. Communicate them. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's the same when if you're in that situation where you've got to say no professionally, or you've got to say to somebody, the way you just spoke to me is not okay. Like mm. we know the things that we should say. We've got our mindset set. But if that person's up in your face, it's hard. Mm. So it is. take a step back, like, set your space around you so that you feel safe before you try and engage in anything like that. I really like that. Ooh, that's really good. That space piece, that's really powerful. That's me on boundaries. <laughs> I got nothing else okay, well, <laughs> for now. Okay. Well, those, that's fantastic. I love all of that. That's just, and it's some really practical tools. I mean, I think that's so many times we get stuck in things because we just don't feel like we've got Okay, these sound like good, but how do I do it? These are really practical tools that anybody can use. So I love that. Thanks so much for sharing that. All right. Talk to me about taking care of our emotional health as much as our physical health and what that journey's been like for you. I'm sure that's come up in the work you've done with the people you work with in your own home as you're dealing with all these different energies and how they affect each other. So talk to me about your emotional and physical health journey. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So this is, again, like coming from a family of academics, working with academics, academics do not do this. We rarely give (laughs) any attention to either our physical or our mental health. 
So mm-hmm. um, again, that's something that really needs to start shifting and it's hard to learn and it helps if you have somebody there telling you what to do because it doesn't seem to come naturally. But um, sure. I think the top of that list, I think, is, has been therapy and I said I wanted to talk about that mm-hmm. and I do. Yes. There's such a stigma against it. Um, yes. it, it's just, you don't, it, therapy isn't just for if you're having a problem. It isn't just for if you're in the middle of a mental breakdown or burnout, like therapy, everybody should use it and you should start when you feel good because right. therapists are completely detached. Like they'll, they'll see the things that you can't see. They'll be able to suggest like, not just how you fix yourself. They'll be able to suggest how you grow. And so mm. I think that's like step number one is recognizing that it's not that you're essentially whole and then you get broken and you need to be fixed. And that's what mental health care looks like. It's you are on a journey. There's always further mm. to go. You're always growing. And therapy is one of the tools you can use for that. And if you have other tools as well, great. You know, like I said, we're social animals. So we probably already do this with right. our friends and family. But a therapist is trained. So, you know, why not go to the expert and, and take the pressure and off? And objective. Exactly. Yeah. And objective. You know, they don't have a... a preconceived notion or story around you coming into it. It's just all what's, what's right there. So I love that so much. And I think it's so important and yeah, just getting that stigma off of it. And I love the, you know, the journey piece and that differentiation we've been told too many times, especially as women that we're broken, that we shouldn't trust our intuition, uh, you know, that we're inherently bad and we need to be steered to the good. And I just don't believe that's true. I believe we're inherently good And life is a journey and it comes at you with a lot of different directions and a lot of different emotions and they all need to be moved through and processed as you move that through it. Yeah. Therapist is such a great guide to that. And again, they bring in that objectivity. So I'm so glad. Thank you so much for highlighting that. I don't think we can talk about that enough. All right. You, you do this. So this is what you do in your work, but how we can support ourselves and other women in living unapologetically. My question here is, you do this now. How did you get to the point where you decided, I'm going to shift to this? I'm going to take what I know and I'm going to shift and help these people. Oh, yeah. So it was the pandemic. Mm. So I was I was working in my uh, local university at the time. I was a professor there as an adjunct. And I was already kind of not super happy about what I saw from inside mm. the institution. So a lot of the sure. professors around me were under a lot of stress. They were Mm. They were struggling. The students were in the same position. And then the pandemic hit and just kind of shook everyone up like they're in a cocktail shaker. And (laughs) that was the point, you know, job certainty already was not there. And that was kind of my big aha moment. Wait a minute. What are my priorities? Is my priority to continue to fight for this position that may or may not be there? Or or actually, do I just want to do what I love doing? And so then I had to figure out what is it actually that I love doing? Like, I know I love teaching, Mm. but what is it about teaching? And I realized it was, okay, well, I have a lot of expertise and I like helping the students get to where they want to get to. Do I really need Mm -hmm. the the university to do that? No, I do not. I can do that by myself. That was a whole different learning curve because I know nothing about business. So I've had to learn that side (laughs) of things, but now I get to do what I want to do. So that's kind of how I ended up in this space. And my assumption when I started was that I was going to be doing the very practical stuff. I was going to be teaching Mm -hmm. people how to do APA. I was going to be teaching people how to write a lit review or how to analyze a source. Um, I was going to be helping them work out what a dissertation should look like. And I do still do that stuff. But as I've worked with more and more students, what I've realized is, yeah, they need that. But they have this underlying fundamental other need that can only be met 
by somebody who has the time and the skill set and the empathy that's often, mm. you know, that's the piece that's usually lacking within their school. Sure. Well, it ends up being more kind of like, I would imagine like a mentorship support system almost. Yeah. Yeah. Because they come to me saying, I don't know how to do a lit review. But when we talk more, what I realize is that they feel somebody should have told them how to do a lit review. Are they just inadequate? Does everyone else know how to do one? Are they, you know, are they even good enough to be doing this? You know, all these questions are underneath that initial cry for practical yeah. help is can someone please tell me that I you know, I belong in this degree and that my work is good mm. and and so that's and they don't get that from the department no. because the department is very detached the supervisors have multiple students they're busy they have other projects and so they are mm-hmm. very just like here's your deadline here's your assignment maybe here's some guidance and that's about it you know give me your work I'll give you some feedback it's usually negative feedback and the students really yeah. need someone to say your work is good your ideas are good you need to grow here, not this bit sucks. Take it back and do it again. Right. Which is huge. That's huge in terms of the, the route they go and like staying, you know, especially just that encouragement. You're on the right path. We just need to, you know, let's hone up these areas and it doesn't end up being what they think it is. Uh, that's I, And you bring us some good points. My husband works in higher ed administration. He's he's on the administration side. He's a fundraiser to um, he's VP for advancement, fancy word for a fundraiser. So he lives on that side, but he works with the deans and, you know, on, on raising money for their colleges and whatnot. So I've had kind of a, a window into that world, his whole career. Um, and it is fascinating. It's a very, like, a lot of these things in their world are like, there's a, it's a numbers game. It's a, I will use these practices to determine who can handle it, you know, but there's not a lot of empathy or emotion or consideration for what someone might be going through. And especially during, which just, it's a pressure cooker in the first place because they use all these practices to try to get down to the numbers they're looking for. So that in itself is a absolute ego beating, you know, or, or affirm me, you know, that within itself. So I love what you're doing with that though. It's taking them like boosting them back up again. Like, okay, okay, let's start here because it's very difficult to do anything well when you don't feel well about yourself and you don't feel well about the work. Um, and so I think that's such an important piece that, that you bring to that. Yeah. And sometimes it means starting with the question, why are you doing this? You know, you are, you are mm. very unhappy right now. Why are you doing this? Sure. Is it for you yeah. or is it for some other reason? Have you thought about it? Right. <laughs> if it yeah. is what you want to so, do, here's your options. But let's start there. Why are you doing this? Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Oh, and that goes nicely into the importance of setting and coming back to your why and your values and everything you do. The values piece is part of your six steps. You just mentioned it here, that why you're doing this. So talk to me about your why and your values journey, how you determined what yours were and how that helps inform the things that you are involved with. And as you're helping these these students navigate that as well. Yeah, I think this is where it gets a little bit philosophical, I think. Um, I mm-hmm. learned how to do it when my business coach made me do it. Because again, like I said, I, when I started, I was very practical minded. I was like, these are the skills that students need. I'm going to give them my skills. And he was like, hold on a minute. Why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> you need to work uh-huh. out. And he used the word mission. You need to work out what your mission is. You know, what mm-hmm. are you, not what are you doing right now? Like, 
as a whole, as a company, a, a long term across your whole career, what are you doing? And so I had to mm-hmm. sit down and think about it. And I realized my mission was I want people to be able to do this for themselves. Like I want them to feel empowered and strong and capable. And all right, there's my yeah. mission. Suddenly everything else becomes a lot clearer. And I mm. think I think everybody needs to do that. And it can come from so many different like it can come from how you were brought up or if you're, you know, a member of a particular religion, your values and your mission might come from there. But, you know, look at your life. What do you want to achieve? What do you want to be remembered for? That's mm-hmm. that's your that's where your values come from. That's where your priorities come from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you bring up a good point too. And I love this because and part of the reason I introduce people by their character traits, well, not part of the, all the reason is we're, we are identified, but by what we identify ourselves in the world many times identifies us by what we do instead of who we are. And I love getting back to the, who we are because the, who we are and how we're made will inform our values and form our why. So sitting back, First, identifying who you are, then identifying your why and your values within that. It's going to, there's a much higher chance it's going to put you on a trajectory of what you really want to be doing, what you were made for when it comes out of that, instead of doing it, which goes nicely into this, living out of your own expectations versus others. If you can get down to that why and your values. So talk to me about your expectations journey um, in living and this has, I'm sure, multi-layered as, um, as a BIPOC woman in the world, just as a woman, a woman in academia, that is a loaded, loaded topic um, if within itself. Um, so talk to me about your expectations journey. So again, that, it was that, that shift from knowing my own expectations for myself, Whereas previously it had been, whose expectations am I trying to meet? And that might be Mm. the expectations at school or the expectations of an employer. I think once you you know why you are doing something, most of us are able to cope with just about anything life throws at us as long as we can see Mm. the importance and feel that Mm. importance, believe in it. And so as soon as you, and certainly this is what I found, as soon as you have your you you're working to meet your expectations for yourself instead of somebody else's it's harder to meet them your expectations are usually higher for yourself but you Mm -hmm. care about them more so it's easier to do it yeah so you know when you've got a supervisor sitting on top of you saying get this draft done by next week i want you know your deadline is this or you've got a boss on top of you saying emails must be responded to on the same day and you're thinking i don't see the point <laughs> like why why should i why should i do that <laughs> and so you don't want to do it and so it's a hard task if your expectation and that you know for me my value is that my students feel empowered and capable and i know they need knowledge to do that and because that is my value my expectation of myself is, is if someone asks me a question, I'm going to reply to it promptly so that they have that knowledge that they need to be making that. Okay, well, now it's an easy decision. It it still feels crummy sitting down to a computer and I don't want to, but I've got a really good reason for doing I'm not doing it just because I have to or someone says that I've got. I'm doing it because it's part of my values. My values say I expect myself to do this for this really good reason. And, it, and that makes it, you know, manageable. It's easier. It is. That's so true. Because even within our whys and the things that we do, there are things within that that aren't fun. I mean, I know that when you talk about the business part, entrepreneurial part, I totally get that. There are things I have to do to maintain this and do this. 
that aren't fun. I don't just get to talk to incredible people like you every day. There's a lot that goes within it. Um, but I, but keeping in mind again, why you're doing it and what you're what you want for yourself. Because I think too, you talked about earlier, you know, the one student who had the university saying you've got 30 days and da, 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 da. And it's like, and you did a really good job. And, and I think you have to of saying that's their expectation what's your expectation within it and and come back to that when you're feeling that like i feel like all of this is being imposed upon me okay well that's a clue and i think it's hard sometimes when you're locked into it and you mentioned writing things down earlier i think there's so much power in that because you've stated it you know it already and so and you have a choice within that um, it might be a hard choice. It might be a choice that feels like a bit of a gamble, but nevertheless, it's a choice. So I think there's, you know, so much power in that too. Do students, it, I, I would imagine this feels scary for them. Was it scary for you when you started doing this? At what point did you get, because you seem very comfortable with this and very like locked in. At what point did you get there? Like, is this something you've been doing for a while or what? what was that turning point for you? I think for me, it was the business coach. I don't think this is something I've been doing for a while. It's something that I saw students struggling with. And it's I tried to work out how I could help them. And I had this mm. really great coach telling me how I could work myself. But suddenly it clicked like, oh, hold on a minute. Everything he's challenging yeah. for my business applies equally to them and solves all of these different problems. So that, you know, definitely, and it's a reason I say go for therapy and have mentors and have your network because that's the kind of thing other people spot for you. I think it's hard, sure. to, hard to spot it for yourself until someone's pointed it out. But mm. yeah, no, it, it's not, it's definitely like I feel very confident in it now because it seems obvious from this side. I don't think it is necessarily from the other side. And I think students do find that so hard, again, because they're usually in the thick of it at the time. And it takes someone else to ask them the question, why are you doing this? Or what what really matters to you? A lot of time, actually, funnily enough, you know, there's an exercise I always start students off with where we go back to the basics of their dissertation. What's your study? Who are you trying to help? Why are you trying to help them? Why is it important? How will it actually help our society? What's going to come out of this is practical. And asking them those questions often digs down into why are they in this field? Why are they doing this research? Mm. And I'll usually save until quite a bit later when they're much less stressed is, so what are you going to do next? You know, what what, what comes after mm -hmm. this PhD? And sometimes they have the answer and sometimes they don't, but it at least gives them that thinking point, you know, Mm. my ideal world would be that I get them before that stage and I'm able to ask them before they sure. even start, you know, why do you want yeah. to do a, a dissertation? Why do you want to do a grad studies? Is this the best, best path for what you want in life? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think what you're doing with this, I think you can apply this across the board in your life period. When you're looking at a job situation you're in or making a change or you're in a power, I mean, there's all kinds of power by dynamics in our lives, whether it's workplace, relationships, whatever, you're, you step back and use these tools to take a look at your situation and kind of bring you back to square. Or if you haven't done those practices, I think these can apply in so many places, um, it, you know, in a variety of situations. So um, so much. So I think not only are you helping yourself and your students in this particular area, but I feel like these are things they'll be able to apply to their whole life. Like these will be really helpful tools. I, I think so. I really hope so. I think we, we live lives these days where 
decisions are expected of us so quickly that we rarely have time mm-hmm. to think, especially life decisions. You know, we finish mm-hmm. high school and we're immediately in this position of, okay, am I getting a job or am I going to college? You know, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I've got to decide. I've got mm-hmm. three months less. Um, yeah. I've just finished my degree. Okay, am I going into industry or am I doing another degree? And people make the decisions because they think it's expected of them. I'm going to go on to college because that's what my mom thinks I should do. Or I'm going to run a business because that's what people do next. Well, why do you Mm want to run a business? What kind of business? I want to make some money. Okay, that's not that's not actually a life mission. You know, think about this. Why why a business? There are options out there, but you got to work out your why before you can make the right decision. Yeah. And I think I see this too. I was a first generation college student. I mentored a gal when I worked in a mentoring program um, at Adelphi University. It was first generation. And I think sometimes with the first generations, there's a lot of pressure around that of what they do. They've got this opportunity, what they do, and trying to bring them back home to what you want to do versus, I mean, there were expectations imposed upon me the people I've worked with had expectations opposed upon them. And so helping them sort through that too. Have you found that that's more, in my experience, it, it's like seems to be more pressure with those first gen, especially those first gen whose parents came to this country to provide more opportunities oh, yes. for them. Do you see that more in your work or is it just kind of a struggle across the board? It, I struggle. I have seen that in my work. I haven't seen it as often as I expected to. Um, mm. Possibly because a lot of the students I work with are returning to education. They already run businesses or in professional roles, and then they're going back. I've certainly seen it with the younger students that I have worked with. Um, yeah. I think. I think what I see more often is decision fatigue. Um, where, mm. when, when I ask that question, what do you want or why are you doing this? Uh, uh, often the answer I get, and this is very much across the board, it's whatever's easiest, which is <sighs> the easier option because they're tired. <laughs> like they just, yes. I want to be done with this. And it's hard to say there is no easy option. So we need to think about this <sighs> more, but usually that is the correct answer is, you know, here's the option that the world will tell you is easier. Here's the option that might be easier for the next three months. However, the world is wrong and there's going to be the time after that first three months where things will get hard again. So please stop and really dig into that deeper. Wow. Decision fatigue. I think that's really interesting. Um, That makes a lot of sense. And I think especially because I think, I mean, we're asking people to make decisions about these things before their brains are even fully formulated for yes. the younger end. Oh, yes. <laughs> you the know, brains, the, the interests. Yeah. You know, we're asking 18 years. I mean, it, you're 25 before you're even, your brain's fully formulated. And at that point, you've already probably committed. decided, yeah, committed to things. And then you get there. And I see this a lot. I've got three 20-somethings. You get there and you get through it. And then you're like, wait a minute. What if I don't want to do any of this? Yeah. How the hell did I end up a lawyer? I didn't mean to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was an accident. <laughs> okay, but I'm really tired and I can't make another decision. So here we yeah. go. No, I think that decision fatigue and the pressure to make the decisions. Like, I, you know, I think people used to be, parents especially, used to be really cringy 
and guilty as charged to our, our middle daughter wanted to take a gap. She really wanted to take a gap year. We blessed a gap semester. And looking back on it now, I wish we would have just given her the gap year because she just wasn't ready to decide. You know, she was a young 18 year old. She turned 18 the week after she graduated from high school. She, we had just moved her across the country for her senior year. So she did her senior year in a new high school, new place, adapted beautifully, all things considered, and had a good experience, but she was wiped out just from that transition. And so she did take a gap semester. She went abroad, um, worked with this nonprofit doing this really cool work in South America, but she could have used another semester looking back on it now. And, um, and, and consequently, because of that, ended up making some decisions grad school-wise that weren't right for her um, and, and kind of learning along the way. And she's now at a point where she's kind of starting, finally starting to get to a point. She's 26 now, going to be 27 in, in, um, in later this spring. And, but I think she's just one example of what can happen within that um, decision fatigue part. And then, you know, what we as parents... And and society can do a little bit better understanding that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to add one more thought to this because looking back on everything we've been discussing, there's very much a theme of plan, know, think, um, you know, work it out in advance. I think also it's never too late to do this. Like there's very much an implication mm. in that advice that you've got to work these things out first and then make all your decisions rarely does life work out like that. You're going to make wrong decisions. You might not have ever done this and you might now be in your forties or fifties thinking, yeah, that probably would have helped. It doesn't invalidate everything that came before you learn from everything in life and everything you learn helps you revise that value, that mission, that priority list. So there's never a point at which you've done with this work and there's never a point at which it's too late to start this work. Like, I think it's great mm. if you can do that at the age of 16 or 18 and make a few of your life decisions easier. But if you didn't, you learned valuable things from that and you're in a better position now to do it again. Mm. I love that. Thank you for that. I, uh, yeah, that's so true. Uh, and I think you see, uh, we're starting more to see more people, even in middle age, they'll hit a cry. They'll realize they'll get to 35, 45, 50 and be like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I, I think this just, I got to change trajectory here. This is what, not what I imagined or, or finally just owning that they made some decisions that weren't really based out of their own expectations and are starting to shift. You're seeing less and less of people feeling locked in. I got to do this. Um, but it's still, it's still very common. So thank you for bringing it up that it's never, you can still shift. It's you're not stuck. You know, it's not too late to make a change and, and we're lifelong learners. Definitely. And if you feel that pressure to shift, you don't have to do it quickly. Like you can stop and take the time and think about what to do. Like you're fed up with being a housewife doesn't mean you have to jump straight into a degree or owning a business. You can stop and think about your priorities first and what's going to work for you. You know, do it right the second time around if you're going to do it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Take what you've learned and and, apply that and make sure you're, you know, taking that. Yeah. Taking that time, that pause. We don't pause. You know, we just keep going. Um, And I think that goes back to the rest piece too. If you can take time to rest. So many times we are so uncomfortable sitting with ourselves. We are so uncomfortable sitting in the quiet 
because we're afraid of what's going to come up or we just don't want to hear it, deal with it, face it, whatever it is. But it's in those moments that these things get revealed if we can be willing to sit with it. It doesn't have to be like in your own private little meditation space with your legs crossed. Like it can be in the 10 minutes before you fall asleep. Yeah, it can be when you're driving, you know, you're driving home after or to work after dropping the kids off where you just take quiet. You're just, it's quiet. Maybe you have some ocean noises in the background or something, but it's quiet and you don't have you're not listening to anything. Not that I, uh, I'd love for you to listen to our podcast while you're driving, but maybe take 10 minutes of quiet if that's the only time you have. Because I think that's the other thing too. We're like, and it goes back to what you talked about earlier with the scheduling piece and putting things in your schedule. Put that in your schedule. The, the 15 minute drive from here to here, it's quiet. And I'm just, you know, if that's all you've got, I mean, hopefully you can take more, but that's all you've got. Find that and make it a priority. So yeah, thank you so much. So much good stuff there. All right, accepting the layered aspects of ourselves. And this really ties into what we were just talking about. All the things that we do, all the decisions we make, you know, instead of we tend to want to like cling to the things that felt good or look shiny, but we don't want to deal with the things that maybe don't feel so good or were tough or just were the wrong route that we took on this journey. So talk to me about your layers experience. So you said something earlier in the discussion, but I think I'll go back to, because you said we're told we're inherently bad and we need to be fixed. And I think we're actually inherently good. I actually don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think we're inherently good or bad. I think we just are. Mm. I don't even think our personalities are all that fixed. They are fluid and they change depending on what's happening around us and our life experiences and the people we're interacting with. So I think it's all very fluid. And it's more a case of like not thinking about your layers as these fixed pieces of yourself, Mm. but instead trying to recognize who you are in this moment or in this season. Because I think the layers I have now are not the same layers I had at 18 and are almost certainly not going to be the same when I'm 60. You know, I think, yeah. I think you can only, yeah. and like our memories are very faulty as well. And our ways of experiencing time are, are very fluid. So I think any kind of decision or picture of yourself or set of values or priorities that you come up, like they're never going to last forever. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain amount of freedom in that as well. Because if there's a, a part mm. you know, a part of you, a layer that you're not super happy with, it's not forever. Yeah. And you kind of, you're yeah. never held to that. And the only person who can hold you to that is yourself anyway. So you have, you have freedom mm. there to play with those layers and to accept that they are fluid and changing. And I think that gives you space really to embrace them a little bit more. Sure. That's really interesting. I, you know, if you go in, in, in and that's really kind of the way I look at, I've tried to shift how I look at processing emotions. It's taking more of a neutral stance rather than calling an emotion bad or good. It's, it's a clue. And I, and I think that's, it, that's kind of transfers over to what you're talking about. Like these things are part of the journey. They have happened. I learned this. I won't do that again. I can do this moving forward, but having that, that more of a neutral stance kind of helps you to not judge yourself so harshly too, I think. Yeah. 
And, you know, you can take it back to your values again, whatever your values happen to be in the moment. And when you're thinking about processing emotion, like you're not giving a good response or giving a bad response. You're not sometimes the crazy person and sometimes the person who's in control. But if you can go back to your values, it can help you make a decision in that moment. Um, like there's something I use with my kids. My husband actually came up with it. Like I said, ADHD husband, ADHD kids. We have a very stormy household. One of my children, my 10 year old has these meltdowns. You know, he, he doesn't deal with frustration well. And so butter his bread on the wrong side. And suddenly there is screaming the house down. And the mantra my husband came up with was quiet, kind, calm. Like that is our family set of values. Those are the things that we all agree are really important. That's the kind of people we want to be. Hard to remember that when your toast has been buttered on the wrong side. However, <laughs> do you really want to be screaming right now? Or do you really want to be a nice, kind little boy? And he's like, oh, I want to be kind. And that usually will bring him back down pretty quickly. And so having those wow. kind of, like, I think those are, those really are kind of layers that you have to yourself. Like I have my kind sure. self. I have my competent self. I have my, I'm relaxing, leave me alone self. And right. Like it, as long as those layers align with what's important to you, they're not something that are imposed on you. They're something that you got ownership of. I think it usually mm. works out. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I love that approach too with your kids because there's a lot of stigmas around ADHD and what that looks like and how it plays out. You're giving them these tools to like deal with this, this just part of their makeup. Um, and it doesn't, you know, instead of having this, you know, stigma around it, it's just like, this is a part of my makeup. This is one of my layers. And these are the tools I use to deal with it. These are the questions you ask, but also how you're responding. I mean, you're responding in such a healthy way. Well, and we used to, like me and this son, we used to butt heads like anything because I was sure. very much, you know, this is what's acceptable. And he was like, but this is what I feel. And it took a lot of work with his therapist and so forth to come up with this way of approaching sure. it. But very much now he's like, you're getting mad at me because I'm frustrated. I can't help being frustrated. No, no one's mad at you. <laughs> and yeah. only being talked to right now, not because you're frustrated, but because you are yelling. So oh, if you are frustrated, yeah. let's find a calm way to talk about that frustration. But sure. I'm really frustrated. I don't think I can. Well, let's try lowering your voice. That's a good start, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> wow. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. Oh my gosh. Thank you for bringing that. I think that's really helpful. And as, because as parents, it's hard in the moment. And especially when you're, you know, for me, I, you know, I was, you're raised with a certain set of standards. This is how you behave. This is how you don't behave. And no one ever, I don't know about you growing up, but no one ever asked me how I was feeling. Oh, <laughs> that, no. that, did, <laughs> that does not come up. It was all about the behavior. It was nothing to do with what was the root behind the behavior and how we can get back to that. And it was, this was just a, a response. My behavior was to how I was feeling. So I think that really demonstrates a calm way. And, and now you know that, but again, you know that ahead of time. Like if you don't yes. have those tools, you're not going to, that's not your instantaneous response. Your instantaneous response is you have to stop yelling now. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, it, and it works both ways as well. You know, if I'm yelling, sure. Tristan, for goodness sake, I have told you 17 times to put your shoes on. He's like, mommy, 
that is not the calmest way you could have told me that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know what? You were right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. hundred percent. So let's get to why mommy's yelling. <laughs> what am I feeling frustrated about? Oh my gosh. Such a good example. Thank you so much for that. Um, you talked about this earlier, the power of surrounding yourself with the right people and the relationships that support your value, your self-care, taking care of yourselves, walking along with you, pointing out those things that you can't see. So this ties really nicely into in living out feel, finding empowerment, embracing your layers, which you we have talked through, and you have you have you're on a journey that has done that. How has that affected the quality of relationships and the kind of people that you've attracted? Because I think it makes a difference. Your your energy puts out a certain aura in the world and attracts a certain kind of person based on on how you feel about yourself and whether you're practicing these things we talked about. So talk to me about your journey with that. Is that changed over time or is that something you've always had a pretty good grasp on? No, I have not had a pretty good grasp. I'm terrible with people, which is a really (laughs) peculiar thing for a business person and a coach to be saying, but I've been an introvert my whole life. I tend to be one of those people that only has like two friends. In fact, I think I only have about two friends. No, I've got three. I've got three of them. <laughs> and like, I like my close circles. And yeah. I don't really like, you know, my husband complains all the time because p- other kids' parents will invite us to stuff. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to be a person. He's like, they're nice. You'd really like them. Yeah, I'm sure I would, but I don't want to. But I guess what I have learned about relationships is that if – if you know the kind of person you are with relationships, that really helps. You know, I know sure. I'm an introvert. And I also know that I have to form real connections with my clients or my business is not going to work. And mm. so, you know, I just, I, I learned the, the strategies for dealing with that. I know how I approach sure. a client when I first start off. I know, you know, the kind of things that I, I are important in the way I develop my relationships. Same thing when it comes to seeking help. Like I know the kind of people that I work well with. And so mm-hmm. I assess before I start a new business relationship. Is this person going to be compatible with the way I work? And if they're not, it's not going to work out. We, we know. And I think that is an important, when it comes to building your network, building your relationships, that I think mm-hmm. is the key thing. Know what works for you and be willing to mm-hmm. assess and change those relationships as needed. If you have a friend that you love a lot, but who drains your energy it's time to step back from that friend. If you have a business associate or employee who is amazing and makes you feel good and solves so many problems and works really well with you, even if they're really expensive, they're worth investing in. If mm. you know someone who's an amazing mentor, develop that relationship. If you've got someone who thinks they are your mentor, but they always make you feel crappy, back away. <laughs> yeah. Really good stuff there. Thank you. Yeah, don't be don't be afraid to drop people. <laughs> that's the yeah, harsh way of I putting think it. That's very. I think that no, but that's important. I think we get stuck in this idea, and I've talked about this before with other guests. We get stuck in this idea that a relationship has to be forever, and if the relationship ends in some way that something went wrong, somebody's mad, some, somebody did something bad. Sometimes they just have their season, and sometimes you just get to a point where, like, okay. Or it's not a good fit. I mean, you knowing you're an introvert is a very important piece. I have one of those in my family. And, you know, and you have to, you know that about yourself. She's got this close circle. She's got her people are her people. And she is, 
loyal and shows up for them in a big way. She doesn't need a big circle. I, you know, I have a bigger circle um, because I'm more, I'm the extrovert in the family. But knowing that about yourself and else and being willing to step back and, and recognize when something's not working anymore. Um, yes. Is or okay. the traps that you're likely to fall into, because the opposite is my husband, who's a complete extrovert. And, you know, every time work, you know, we do three quotes for every piece of work we want to do on the house. And so the three people will turn up and then they'll leave and he'll go, I like them. I'm like, yeah, but you like, you like everyone. <laughs> we can't make a decision based on <laughs> That's that. That's not a good assessment. <laughs> <laughs> like we need more than that. <laughs> So if you know you're the kind of person who loves every person you ever meet, like you need to know that so that you can make better judgments about who you're actually going to let into your life because you've only got space for so much. You've only got energy for so much. Sure. Sure. That's a really good point. Yeah. You you have to do the assessment because you'll be objective about those things. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Or just knowing yourself well enough. Like I have talking points because I am a talker. If I did not have talking points, I'd have three hour episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for that. All right. We're down to our rapid fire. Um, Name five activities that nourish you. Knitting, boxing, gardening, writing, Spending time with my niece. That last one will probably change as she gets older, but right now she's delightful. Oh, that's fun. A boxing. I love <laughs> that. That's a great place to way to take out your I have exercises that I do that have those things within them. It's a great way to release. Oh, it's it's so good. Yeah. It, I, that's yeah. gonna be something that I was gonna talk about for one of our other segments and we didn't get to it, but like especially if you do a job that keeps you in your head all the time something yeah. really super aggressive as your workout is a really right. good idea. Like not, That's a great self-care method. We, we all know we need activity, but like sometimes like a treadmill isn't going to do it or like squats. Or yeah. it, like you got to have something where you engage your brain still because that's what your brain is used to. But getting like that aggression out and the emotion out in what you're doing and something that requires like focus where you have yeah. to give it your all, but it's a different all than you're used to giving. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that can be really powerful in the emotional, physical health realm because you get that out. It doesn't get stored up and mm. show up in some way in your body later because our body stores those things up if we don't release them. I love that. That's really powerful. Oh, I'm glad we, I'm glad we touched on that a little bit. Um, five words on how you want to feel the next six months. Come energized. I realize those two are complete opposites. <laughs> um, <laughs> appreciated, but also supportive and mm. um, connected. Mm. You know, common energized are opposites in a way, but you, I think you can feel energized and a calm within that. Energized doesn't have to be this like excitement. Your body's all wound up. You can be energized and excited about something and still have a calm within that. I think, and that's, I think that's a really great balance if you can find it. Yeah. I think it's about like being excited without being anxious. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is, is tricky. It's very tricky. I love that. Love that. Well, Dr. Jen, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, for this conversation. I'm so thankful um, for the work you do in the world that we were able to connect and share this with our audience. Um, Again, audience, go to embracinglayers.com. All of Dr. Jen's sources will be there. If you want to visit her right away, um, go to readwriteperfect.com. And the write is like you're writing. So R-E-A-D, 
W-R-I-T-E perfect.com. And that's where you can learn more about how you can work with her. Um, and all, like I said, all that information will be at embracinglayers.com on our sources page. Um, but Dr. Jen, thanks for the time. Thanks for the work you do in the world and your insights today and sharing those with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a fun discussion. It has. All right, audience. Thanks so much and have a great week. Finding empowerment, embracing layers, yeah. We